So as we come to chapter 19, David has fled because Absalom led the rebellion against him. His own son had turned against them to, for treason and conspiracy. Joab, David's main general, but not one of his 30 mighty men, Joab has killed Absalom. And so that rebellion's been dealt with. And David is lamenting, we're in the very moment where David is lamenting the death of his son through the Canaanite woman, Absalom, and he's just sobbing and mourning, he's in great grief, and that's what we come into tonight as we pick up the story in chapter 19. And Joab was told, chapter 19, verse 1, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom, so the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son, and the, the people, the soldiers, they stole back into the city that day as people who were ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and King David cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, Today you've disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, and that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you, we, you have declared today that you regard neither prince nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, it would have pleased you well. Now therefore arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate. And they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for everyone of Israel had fled to his tent. Well, this is a critical moment for sure, because if you take out the family dynamics that Absalom was the son of David, and just go back to a kingdom, a conspiracy, a civil war, well, a civil battle that was resulted in a civil war, it's a very serious event and very serious circumstances, but it's complicated because Absalom, the son of David, the king, was the one that led the rebellion. And it's just a dark day. If it's not David's son, it would be a great victory, right? It would be a great victory, like the, the kingdom was preserved, everything's good. But it is the king's son, and the king is mourning for his son, and he can't snap out of it. The king, David, is more of a dad right now than he is a king, and he's got to get his crown back on his head and think like a king and not like a dad, because too much is given, much is required. And sometimes you find in your own life that you just have to pull it together. Where there, there's just times in life when you just can't, you just can't let it go. You have to control something because there's a higher stake at hand, and you have to rise to the occasion and deal with this. In spite of the, the emotional grief and duress you might be going through, there are things that you have to do, and you just have to do it. And whether you're grieving because you lost this or you lost that or this hurt you this way, you got to do what you got to do because you're in a position of responsibility and accountability of a higher level. And who's more accountable than the king of Israel in the Old Testament than David right now? And it's Joab is the mystery man. The more I read about Joab, I'm sure you're with me on this. Every time Joab comes up in 2 Samuel, which is a lot, he comes up a lot in 2 Samuel, you just go, here he is again. Here's Joab. What's he going to do this time? And there's more Joab coming in the text tonight. So here's Joab. And there's a mystery to Joab because at times he does speak the truth. Or he speaks what needs to be said. In fact, 
Joab in this text, Joab in a coming chapter, and Joab in another chapter near the end of the book with the census, Joab is really saying things that need to be said. So forget that he killed Abishai in cold blood. Forget he's going to die at the altar of God under the hand of Solomon after David has stepped into eternity. Forget all that about Joab. Just know in this story, he's actually speaking something very important and truthful to David that David needs to hear, which brings up a good point. Just because we don't like the messenger doesn't mean we should reject the message. Huh? Just because we don't like the messenger doesn't mean we should reject the message. Because there are times, there's people we don't like at all. And maybe all they've ever said in our life is unpleasant or difficult, and they rub you wrong at work. Maybe it's a family member. But it is important as you get older, you learn this lesson. You need to separate messengers from the message. And if a message is correct and there's validity to it and it needs to be heeded, then you got to get past your personal emotion. We have to get past our personal emotion that we just don't like the person who's saying it. Because God's not always going to send us the person we want to say it to us to give it a soft landing. He's going to say what we need to hear sometimes from someone we don't want to hear it from him. It might be your mom, right? It might be your dad. It might be your dad that's never been there for you, but he's still saying something that's true. And you may not like the messenger, but that message he's sharing with you on this day is valid. There's a person in my life from the surf world that's not a, he's not a Christian. He once beat me up in the water in front of the entire pro tour in South Africa. I deserved it. I deserved way more beatings than I ever got, so I'm sure I deserved it. But um, eventually we, became, we were friends, and I, I actually performed his wedding for him, his wedding ceremony. But he's one of those guys that throughout my entire career before I was saved, and then after I was saved, he would just say things that were true, and he's pretty gruff. He's an Aussie, and he's a pretty rough Aussie. Oh, well, my, yeah, and you just, it's just the way it is, my, yeah, it's just the way it is. He's that kind of an Aussie, like Crocodile Dundee or something. You know, this is a knife, you know, like that's how he's that kind of guy. And even when I was coaching the U.S. surf team with Brandon just a couple years ago, there were two different incidences where something was going on, and he was watching, and he goes, Mike, why don't you just do this, Mike? Like, what's your problem there? And I'm like, what's it to you? It's not your business. And then immediately I thought, he, what he's saying is correct. And I'm like, I can't believe it. This guy, this guy has been in my life for 40 years, and he's not born again, and yet again God sends him to say something to me right now to give me a good word around the coach of the U.S. surf team in front of all these parents down at San Clemente. Which, again, just reminds us, whether it's Joab or a talking donkey, just because you don't like the messenger doesn't mean you should reject the message. Understand? Because the frequency of obedience to the Lord is, is it truth and is it valid? This is great application. Because you just look at Joab, they'd be like, ah, Joab, like, ah, but isn't the counsel good? Isn't, wouldn't you, I mean, there's every reason to believe that Joab saved the kingdom this night. Like David's mourning, and Job's like, slaps him in the face. Like, dude, snap out of it. We know you're mourning. We know this, but listen to you. Listen to me right now. These men saved your life, saved your kingdom, saved your wealth, saved everything. And if you don't snap out of it right now, you're going to lose it all. It'll be the worst thing that ever happened to you, worse than even the news that came to you earlier this day. So... The disciple of Christ does well 
to know the frequency of the Holy Spirit speaking truth that we need to hear and to receive it. And yet again, I tell you, when I received the 29-page letter critiquing me as a pastor, 29 pages. Now, I'd gotten a couple of three-page letters, a couple of five-page letters before that, but 29 pages is the start of a book. And someone wrote me 29 pages critiquing everything about me, how I look, how I talk, how I part my hair, everything this church, how we do our services, our worship leaders, the sound mix, the words on the screen, the, the, the design for 2 Samuel, everything. And it was hard to actually have to read that. But I always say page 28 had some good stuff. And I, the messenger drove me nuts before that person ever sent 29 page letters they had tried to do all kinds of other things before that they're a writer and that's what writers do they write that 29 page letter I wish I would have kept it now because now it's almost funny but page 28 and I was sensitive enough to the Lord to know that page 28 had really important stuff that I needed to receive whether I liked the messenger or not amen just because Joab tells you something's true doesn't mean you reject it because Joab, just because Joab Joab's life isn't to inspire you in the Lord doesn't mean what Joab is saying isn't valid for you to hear from the Lord. That's the application. Verse 9. So now all the people were in dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he's fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, who we've anointed over us, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So King David sent to Zadok and Abathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you last to bring the king back to his house, since the words of all Israel have come to the king, to his very house? You are my brethren, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you're not the commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah just as the heart of one man. So they sent word to the king, return you and all your servants. And then the king returned and came to, uh, to the Jordan River. And, and Judah came to Gilgal to, to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from Behiram hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now, Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king. Remember, he was our whole application on Saturday night. When the king crossed over the Jordan and, and, and he said to the king, look, don't, do not let my Lord impute iniquity to me or remember what wrong your servant did on that day that my Lord, the king, left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I've sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come down today of all the house of Joseph to, to go down and meet my Lord, the king. But Abishai... Remember, Abishai wanted to kill him previously, Shimei. Abishai, the brother of uh, Joab, says, uh, Hey, shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And, and David said, What have I to do with you, sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not now know that I am the king over Israel? 
Therefore the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. Now, Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, remember he's lame, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was when he came come to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, why did you not go up with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, my lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. But my lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I to still cry out anymore to the king? So the king said to him, why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather let him take it all. Inasmuch as my lord, the king, has come back in peace to his own house. This is all unfinished business from the previous chapter. So, you know, when David left, there was Shimei, there's Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth from the house of Saul, misrepresenting Mephibosheth. David, if you recall, was very kind to Mephibosheth because Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And, of course, David and Jonathan had a covenant, and they both were men of faith. And so in the house of Saul, from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul, Jonathan, Mephibosheth. There's Mephibosheth, and Ziba's his servant who deceived David when David was fleeing from Absalom. And that's the background to that story with Ziba. And then Shimei, of course, is also from that, uh, the Benjamites. So here on the rematch, so these guys are cursing David and deceiving David on the way out of town. This was our study Saturday night topically. And now when David's coming back, it's like, oopsie-daisy. And so Shimei shows up with a thousand men like, hey, I'm the first to greet you. And we talked about Shimei. There's no point in executing him. This is like Abishai wanted to kill him on the way out of town, and Abishai wants to kill him coming back to town. There's just no point in, in executing Shimei because there's always another Shimei. If you rip the bullhorn out of someone's hands who's kicking dirt and throwing rocks down the street, someone else is going to grab the bullhorn, kick dirt, and throw rocks down the street. There's people like this, and they're always going to be there. They're always going to be there. So it does no good to cut them down. You just They're toxic. They're going to always be toxic. And you have to put them outside of your city walls of Jerusalem and don't let them in your world. You need to protect your headspace, your heart, and your life from them. And you need to just see them for who they are. They're nothing. Shimei is nothing. What does David say to Abishai? Dude, Abishai, come on, man. Like, you sons of Zariah, just figure it out. I am the king. I am the king. This guy is nobody. They're a disgruntled minimum wage employee from the warehouse posting negative things on their blog. They're, 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 po- they're posting things on reviews, and, and like there's nothing you can do about them. It's a free country. They can post what they want to post about our restaurant, about our Airbnb. There's nothing you can do about them. So keep them out of your headspace, and don't lower yourself to acknowledge them. Hey, maybe you can delete their comments, And maybe even block them if you have to. But don't engage them. Don't start bantering with them. There's no purpose in that. Some people get it. Some people don't and they will. And some people don't and never will. And someone like Shimei, they never get it. And if they are going to get it, if you're King David, you know they're not going to get it through you. So just let it be. 
This was a main application Saturday night because we all know a Shimei. And if you don't, you can't get to 80 and not have some Shimei come throw rocks at you, kick dust in you on your worst day, pronounce curses on you, twist truth against you, take half-truths, make them full lies and stuff like that, and try and destroy you. And David's just like, I'm the king. This is our property. They're going to say what they want to say. This is my business. They're going to say what they want to say. What are you going to do? I'm not going to go into hiding and not have a voice in the marketplace of the human experience. We talked about how Raul Reese has lots of haters and there's people that speak up for the Lord and say things people don't want to hear these days and they try and get people canceled and all that. Listen, you got two choices. Crawl in a hole and wait for the trumpet to sound or stand up and speak the truth and not let Shimei get under your skin. Like those really are the choices. We share the planet with a lot of Shimeis. Just know your place, know your lane, know your calling, know you're the king, know you're the queen, know who you are, what you're called to do, and do it and let God deal with Shimei. Because he can give Shimei a stroke or a heart attack any day to resolve your problems. And if he doesn't, then God's allowed him. And that's that. But the last thing you want to do is encourage Abishai to go take his head off because that's, it's like we said about Saul's spear. The moment you pick up Saul's spear and use it against Saul, you become Saul. And the great King David is never meant to be like Saul. So he just can't be. And then Mephibosheth, this is where you kind of see David getting older when you're older and you control a lot of wealth, which is what David is, David is getting older and he controls a lot of wealth. We talked about this. A landmass the size of Southern California. Right now, Israel, I believe, is the third largest exporter in the world uh, of what it exports, fruits and vegetables. It's a very fertile land. And yeah, the size of Southern California. And David controls this wealth. And, and people want to take stuff from you. When you have money, people want to separate you from your money. When you have money, people have ideas how they think they should spend your money as opposed to how you think you should spend your money. But ultimately, your money's from the Lord, so you can't let them do that. And so Ziba, who is just consumed by money, Mephibosheth's servant, he deceived David. David gave him everything hastily. We talked about that. And now, here it is in David's face again. So David comes back, and there's Mephibosheth going, David, I didn't, I didn't lead a rebellion against you. My servant, he deceived me, the donkey, everything. David's like, I didn't want to hear it. David's like, uh, he, he's a majority stockholder. And he's like, I, I didn't want to hear it. It's like the lawyers are, I, I don't even want to hear it. I just don't even want to hear it. And that's how it can be with money sometimes. When they came to Jesus, you tell my brother to give me my share. And Jesus is like, who may be an arbitrator over you? Go figure it out. I don't even want to hear it. And then Jesus told the story about bigger barns, bigger barns. And, you know, tonight your soul will be required of you. What's a profit of man if you gain, or a woman if you gain the whole world and lose their soul? This is wealth. This is money. This is conniving. And David's like, why do you speak any more of, of the matter? It's like this. David, I just want to explain to you. And David's like this. 
There's just nothing more to say. I gave, I gave half back to you. So David ruled that Ziba could have all of it. And then here David says, Mephibosheth, I gave, it, I gave half back to you. And Mephibosheth says, that's not even the point. I don't even care about the money. I don't care about the wealth. I care about being at your table and being where the blessings are. And that's all that matters to me. He can have all of it, which shows you the heart of Mephibosheth, which means the faith that Jonathan, his dad, had clearly was passed on to his son because we see the faith of Mephibosheth right here. It's not about money. It's not about possessions. It's about being where the presence of the Lord is, which makes Mephibosheth another hero of the Old Testament. And Ziba, he's just another, just another bad man. He's not a violent man, not like... Amnon raping his sister, or Absalom killing his brother in cold blood. No, he's just a bad man. He's just an evil man. But you know, the lesson for Ziba for all of us is when he wins, he really loses. Because when he rode home with his 20 servants and 15 kids as possessor of all that wealth from the house of Saul, he had to, he had to sleep at night. He had to live with himself, and he had to have the look of the neighbors. And, you know, the tribe polices the tribe. And I'm sure the neighbors, when they, when they, they would all know, because they talk just like your neighbors talk, and they talk about how Mephibosheth found favor with David, and how Mephibosheth had a tender heart, and had all these things go against him, but he always wanted to serve the Lord and do what was right, and he was crippled and all these things, but he still had faith, and he trusted in the Lord, and they would look at Zeba and go, dude, you, 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 he's the guy. It's that gun smoke I watched years ago where a guy comes to town in Dodge City and he steals everybody's property with business deals. Now, Gunsmoke ran for 20 years, right? It's a 20-year TV show. So you probably never saw this episode. But the guy finagles everybody's property. And so what, the, what Dodge City does is they all refuse to talk to him. So as he comes into Dodge City and he's the real estate tycoon, he's taking there, no one will, they ignore him like he doesn't exist. So he's in the market trying to buy something, they ignore him. He comes in the saloon, they all ignore him. And he goes nuts and eventually he hangs himself and takes his life. The tribe polices the tribe. And I wonder really for Ziba what his life was like in his own conscience when he looked in the mirror and when his neighbors looked at him. Because what does it profit a man if he gains all of Saul's wealth, which he got given to him by David, stole from Mephibosheth, and then even after David comes back, he still maintains half of that wealth. He's still got to wake up and live with yourself. And then how about in your elder years when you're on your deathbed and all that wealth can do you nothing? All the houses on Back Bay, all the houses in Dana Strand, what will they do you on the day of Christ? Jesus is what Jesus says. And how did you attain them? Did you attain them by serving the Lord and serving others? Did you attain them by taking advantage of people and ripping them off? Because that's what Ziba did. And David's like, I don't want to hear about it anymore. I'm done. There's no, I'm done. I don't want to talk about it. There's nothing more to say. And it just reminds us that it's much better just to be at the feet of Jesus at the table of the Lord than to be conniving and conspiring how to take advantage of people who are more vulnerable than us in life. Because that's really what Ziba did. Just Mephibosheth is such a hero, and Ziba is such a bad man. Verse 31, and 
Barzali, the Gileadite, came down from Roglim and went across the Jordan with the king to uh, escort him across the Jordan. And now Barzali was a very aged man, 80 years old. And he had provided for the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanahim, for he was a very rich man. And the king said to Barzali, Come across with me, and I'll provide for you while you're with me in Jerusalem. But Barzali said to the king, How long have I lived? How long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I'm today 80 years old. Can I discern between good and bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. And why should the king repay me with such kindness, with such a reward? Please let your servant turn back again that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But, but here's your servant... Chimham, now let him cross over with the, my lord the king and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now whatever you quest of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan and when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzali and blessed him and returned to his own place. So Barzali, he's 80 He's done good. He became a new advocate or ally of David when David fled from Absalom. And he's a good man. He's a rich man. And again, when you're 80 and you're super wealthy, you're just trying to figure out how to give it away in a good way that honors the Lord. David's going to do the same thing. Before David steps into eternity at 70, he builds all that wealth and gives it to Solomon for building the temple to the Lord. That's what happens when you have all this money. You've got to figure out like how how the kingdom can advance for it and through it rather than just being tossed to the side and people, lawyers, and all the stuff that can happen to no good end because, of course, we can't take it with us. So it says he's a very rich man. But what happens when you're a very rich man at 80? I'll tell you what happens because you read in the text. You have your little circle you travel in, and that's your world. That's what you have. And I've noticed the older I get, the smaller my circle gets. And I've noticed from observing older people, the older they get, the smaller their circle gets. And eventually, you live in leisure world, and your circle got smaller. And then eventually, you might live in uh, memory care, and your circle really got smaller. You got this hall, that hall, this way, this room. huh? And if you're in assisted living, not memory care, then maybe you go to the TV room. And if you have children that take care of you and love you and spend time with you, they'll come pick you up, and they'll take you by the beach. And maybe they'll take you home or something like that. But it's a small circle. It's, and you know, when I was younger, I couldn't understand why older people didn't want to travel because I always loved traveling when I was young. But the older I get, I'm like, oh, man, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Jet lag, different time zones. Oh, man, different food. Oh, it's going to take me five days to adjust to Russian time. Well, I never did when I went to Russia. I never adjusted. That was the problem. Opposite side of the planet. But the circle gets smaller. And look at, look at this, such a, this is such something for us to realize. We can travel the world and do all these things, but when you're 80 and super rich, what do you want to do? You want to you finish your life free from pain and be buried next to your parents. That's what you want to do. Because that's what he wants to do, and that's what you find happens. We had the discussion about six months ago, where's my final resting place? Where's Jennifer's final resting place? Have you had that discussion? Like, hmm, 
Hmm. My dad was going to be buried at Point Loma, military honors, but they don't bury him anymore, anymore there because they filled up all the plots. So he's got to go uh, Miramar, over by Miramar Air Station, there where my father-in-law was buried. He's an Army veteran. Or do we bury my dad next to my mom at the Catholic Cemetery in Cleveland because there's still an empty plot in the family group? Huh. Well, one thing I know for sure, wherever my dad's going to be laid to rest, his sphere is PCH to Warner, to Beach, to Indianapolis, to Yorktown, back to Sunrise. And it used to be to Vista to see his doctor, Bibbler, for 20 years, but Bibbler just retired, so now he's got a new doctor that visits him where he's at. If he needs to give blood at LabCorp, that might be Fountain Valley or Huntington. It's a smaller and smaller and smaller circle. So all the wealth in the world doesn't mean anything when you live within a small radius. I know my radius is getting smaller. Ultimately, we're just waiting for the Lord to come get us. But look at Bozzarelli. He's like, you know what? Like, can I, can I enjoy good food? I'm 80. He's basically saying, like, food doesn't taste as good. Like, those that take care of the elderly will tell you their, their appetites change. They, they particularly, they like the sweets down the stretch. My dad, okay, so I've taught, I've tried to give my dad any kind of food. I'll tell you what my dad likes. He'll eat a cheese omelet, and he loves Jennifer's pancakes. Dad, we're going to have lunch. We give him the same lunch every time he comes over because we know he'll eat it. It's what he still likes. He doesn't like coffee anymore. He quit listening to radio. He quit reading books, and he quit watching TV. He still wants to watch football, at least when the Super Bowl was on last year he did. So Bozzarelli says, hey, take my, my, my younger friend here and bless him with how you'd want to bless me. And we've talked about this. It's an eye for the next generation. Bozzarelli is like, you know what? I'm going to live in this little circle. I'm very rich. I'm going to figure out how to give all this away or delegate it for when I'm gone. I'm going to be buried with my parents. But this guy's my buddy, and he's a faithful servant. And you're going to take care of him. So, David, all that you do for me, do for him. And isn't that what you want to do as parents with adult children? Don't you just want your adult children to receive the fullest blessings from the Lord possible? Yes and amen. When you look at your adult children, you want them to receive not the temporal wealth, which can just be, you know, but the real wealth, the faith, the obedience, the blessings, the power, the presence. That's what you want your adult children to have. And you would want to send them anywhere they can go where they could get it. So go to the house of David. David, take this guy and let him sit next to Mephibosheth at your table and do for him what you would do for me. And again, the older you get, the more you realize the best thing you can do is pass on the blessings of the Lord and his kingdom to the next generation. And Bazzarelli is like, you know what? I'm going to die next to my parents, but you take care of him. You take care of him, and you bless Jim Ham. Because me, I got a little small circuit I travel in. I'm going to cross the door and go a little bit ways. I'm going to wave goodbye to you and give a double thumbs up to my homie. Yep. And then, because can I sing those songs? <laughs> I was at the old folks' home the other day. All time, you baby boomers. Dean Martin and Bob Hope were on. And I was like, that's my dad's generation. A couple people sit in the lobby. Dean Martin, 
and Bob Hope. Dean Martin when I picked my dad up, and Bob Hope when I came back. See, he's not singing the young songs that young people in this congregation are singing, my dad. My dad has certain songs like Glenn Miller where he starts going like this because that's his song. That's why they put the 80s music for us when we're Trader Joe's because we feel good and we spend money because those are our songs. That's how it works. There's an ending for all of us. We want to bless anyone and everyone and send them to the table of David, the great king, the foreshadow of Christ with all the blessings imaginable. Let them, let them live their life while they're young in all the joy of being in love and having little children and all these things, being hired, being fired, moving, traveling the world and all those things because there'll be a day when we can barely cross the Jordan and we say goodbye to David and thank him for his friendship. And then we're going home to the king. Verse 40, now the king went to Gilgal and Chimham went with him and all the people of Judah escorted the king and also half the people of Israel. Just then the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why have our brethren, the, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king to his household, all David's men with him across the Jordan? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, we have 10 shares in the king, right? Because there's 12 tribes of Judah and there are 10, or 12 tribes of Israel and there are 10. Therefore, we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first advised bringing back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. <laughs> Poor David, after all he's been through, he comes back to Israel and he's got this going on. Like you put out, this is life. <laughs> yes and amen. You put out one brush fire and here comes another one. You just, I mean, you just got, you just, you're grieving over Absalom and Joab and his whole thing. You're just like, oh, by the powers, I'm going to fire Joab and make this other guy the general and, and Shimei and Ziba and oh, what I've said, I've said. And, and then here we go again. See, if we ever think we're going to have a perfect soft landing in life, you better think again. Right? It's... It's messy, especially when you're fruitful. Like the proverb says, where, where there's increase, the stall is messy. In other words, where you have oxen producing stuff, there's manure in the stall. That's literally what the proverb says. But if there's a clean stall, there's no increase. It's kind of like if you redo something with your house, like we redid part of our house a couple years ago. So we knocked out a couple half walls, opened up the kitchen, the dining room, you know, and we painted and all this stuff. But sooner or later, the, one of the can lights doesn't work right. Sooner or later, the dogs are always scratching to go to the garage, so they, that, that door looked nice and clean when it was done up. Then this wall over here, Velzy thinks it's, a, it's like a painting canvas. <laughs> Two years ago, that was part of the remodel, you know, the interior painting. That was part of the bill. But what more would you want than a grandkid, like, thinking a wall is part of their artistic development? Like, what really matters in life, right? Like, a clean house that no one lives in and is sterile? Or a house that's alive with grandchildren thrashing it? Right? You understand. Yeah. So wherever there's increase, there's going to be a mess. That's how life works. 
So David, the good news is you're the king again. The bad news is it seems that ten tribes are against you again. <laughs> but the good news is it's not your own son trying to overthrow you. The bad news is there's another rebel, and this guy is probably more dangerous than your son. So we have a little bit more text tonight. Chapter 20. And there it happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bitri, a Benjamite. Like David's like, no, not another Benjamite. Like what is up with the Benjamites? It's the house of Saul. These guys just won't let go. They just, and he blew a trumpet. <laughs> There's nothing quite like a Benjamite who's a rebel blowing a trumpet. Welcome to life in your middle age, David. After all you've been through, we, wanna, we just want to get a happy chapter going in 2 Samuel, and what do we get? We got a Benjamite who's a rebel blowing a trumpet. And they say, we have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the house of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel deserted David. Wow. Welcome back, King David. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bitri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem remained loyal to their king. So that's a good news. This is life. It's messy. Verse 3. Then David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left behind to keep his house, whom he had put in seclusion and supported them, but he did not go into them, so he never had intimacy with them. They were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. Gosh, you know, Absalom is dead and gone, and this is the legacy of his life, what he did to these women. It makes me sick. Verse 4. And the king said to Amasa, Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. So Amasa, now remember, Amasa had been with uh, Absalom to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, that's now Joab's brother, Now Sheba, the son of Bitri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. So Joab's men with the Cherethites, the Peleothites, and all the mighty men went out after him. And they went out of Jerusalem and pursued Sheba, the son of Bitri. And when they were at the large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. Now Joab was dressed in battle armor, on it was a belt with a sword fastened, it sheathed at his hip, and as he was going forward, it fell out. Then Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him, but Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand, and he struck him with it in the stomach, and his entrails poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again, thus he died. Wow. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bitri. Yeah, there can only be one commander-in-chief, and it is not going to be Amasa. It's going to be Joab. We're quite certain of that. So then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bitri. Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. But Amasa wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway. And when the man saw that all the people stood still, he moved Amasa from the highway to the field and threw a garment over him when he saw that everyone came upon him and halted. And when he was removed from the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bitri. And he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel and Beth-Makkah and all the Barahites. And so they were gathered together also together and also went with Sheba. Then they came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Makkah, and they cast up a siege mount against the city, and it stood by the rampart, and all the people who were Joab battered the wall to throw it down. Then a wise woman cried out from the city, Hey, here, here, please say to Joab, come nearby that I may speak with you. And when he came near to her, the woman said, Are you Joab? 
And he answered, I am. And she said to him, hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I'm listening. So she spoke, saying, they used to talk in former times, saying they shall surely seek guidance at Abel, so they would end disputes. I'm among the peaceful and faithful in Israel, and you seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? And Joab answered and said, well, far be it for me that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not so. But a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba the son of Bitri by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, watch his head will be thrown over the wall. Then the woman in her wisdom went to all the people. They cut off the head of Sheba the son of Bitri and threw it out to Joab. Then he blew a trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. And Joab was over all the army of Israel. Benaiah the son of Jehoiada was over the Cherethites and the Peleothites. Adoram was in charge of revenue. Jehoshaphat the son of Ahilad was recorder. Shiva was scribe. Zadok and Abathar were the priests. And Ira the Jariite was chief minister under David. So after all this, it would seem that things have settled and David is reestablished as the king. So much drama in 2 Samuel. And just, it just all, sometimes when you're reading this, when I'm reading this, I think this is all so unnecessary. You just wish it could have gone a different way, but this is the, the way it went. And Joab, <laughs> don't you, when you read that Amos, Amos was late, you think, like, well, if he was on time, would he have been killed? You know, like, but it's so weird. Like, he got the job, and the first day on the job, he shows up late, and then Joab just takes him out. It's like, this is just how the world can be. It can be so ruthless, and it was. But if you're going to go to war, I'd just assume have Joab on my side as opposed to not on my side. Because he definitely got it done, as did Abishai. And so David had this whole rebellion to deal with as soon as he came back. But these guys dealt with it properly. And he wanted to dump Joab. The previous chapter, he said, you know, if Amasa is not the commander of the army and all this and that, but it didn't go that way. It's almost like David was stuck with Joab. It's like, he's like the employee you can't get rid of or something. You know, he's tenured or something. I don't even know. Like, you just can't get rid of him. Like, you just can't get, he, like, they're tenured and they're going to do what they're going to do. And like, David... And, and he's just like, I, I, you know, I'm being facetious, of course, let the reader understand. But still, David had a plan to get rid of him, and he couldn't get rid of him. And for better or for worse, David is going to have Joab in his life till the last day he breathes. He's going to have Shimei down the street cursing against him in his living room when no one's around. And he's going to have Joab by his side doing whatever he's doing. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a good ending for Joab. Abishai is going to save David's life in the next chapter. That's good news. After, you know, all those times that Abishai wants to kill Shimei, well, you know what? Abishai is going to kill the guy that's trying to kill David and he's going to save David's life. So again, there's the brother of Joab. But when it's all said and done, the dust settles. Joab's over the army, verse 23, and these other guys all have their place. And I close with this thought. The kingdom is always going forward. And this is what we need to remember tonight, that the kingdom of God is always moving forward. 
And even though there might be a time where it seems like the kingdom of God is doing better than another time, or that it's being suppressed or oppressed or persecuted, the kingdom of God is always moving forward. And Jesus is our king, and he's always got his kingdom moving forward. And there, he said, the violent take it by force. He, he described all these things, that the world will hate you, hates me. And these are all things that the church has lived through and existed in in every culture for 2,000 years. But the kingdom is truth. Jesus is truth. The church is truth when it's sticking to the word of God. And the kingdom is going forward. So we're reminded tonight in all the drama that's going on around us in our personal lives or on planet Earth and all these different things and wars and rumors of wars and conspiracies and famines and pestilence and all this stuff that's the end game. The kingdom's still going forward, just like David's. And you figure, you know what? Joab's over the army. Benaiah's over this. Adoram's over that. The priests are over this. Zadok and Abathar. The people that have been proven faithful to David when he's rebooted and it's all going forward, they are serving with David. They've been tested and they can be entrusted with running the army, for better or for worse, Joab. They can be, listen, that rebel's head was tossed over the wall and Joab was the commander when that happened. Adoram is in charge of the revenue. Someone has to be in charge of millions of dollars of money, and Adoram is the name. He's faithful. He can be entrusted with the stewardship of the resources. Just like any nonprofit's legal board, they're entrusted with financial stewardship before Caesar and God. Jehoshaphat's the recorder to make sure things are recorded properly, that the history's right, and we get it straight. And Shiva's a scribe, and these priests are the priests. They're in charge of all the religious things that are important. And then there's a chief minister, Ira the Jerahite, under David. So as the kingdom goes forward in the midst of chaos, coming forward from chaos, it's a reminder to us to be faithful, to continue to be faithful to King Jesus in his kingdom, no matter what's going on around us. Because it is messy. And some tribes might be with us, some tribes might be against us. Some things will go like this, some things will go like that. But there's going to be people like Shimei with megaphones cursing, throwing rocks and doing what they're doing. But it doesn't stop us from being faithful to the great King Jesus and being faithful here and now. Because even in my own devotion, reminded in Luke just yesterday, who then is that good and faithful servant whom his master finds when he so returns? And we're reminded yet again, as David's kingdom is consolidated, it's back on track, and people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. When the king comes, we're going to be entrusted with things to do. We're going to be entrusted with things to do, and it's a reminder to be faithful to the things he's entrusted to us today on planet Earth. August 2nd, 2022, to be faithful to Jesus in the messy stall where there's a big mess in the stall, but to continue to be faithful where there's increase and not to grow weary in doing good and be faithful as the scribe, to be faithful as the recorder, to be faithful as the priest, to be faithful with the finances, to be faithful whatever God has entrusted us to do. It's messy. It can't stop us from being true to the king, being faithful to the king. And when it's all restored, we'll be serving with the king in Jesus' name.